0: I thought this evening rather than my give a uh, talk this evening, um, instead if there is if we have a period of time for questions and answers, and in that, if you have any questions which you would like to ask out of the days here, of course, or with regard to Uh, the talks or instructions, or just areas of concern that you may have in this uh, extensive uh, world in which we live, then do please feel free to uh, ask. And of course always with the understanding that in my answering a question directly, it may not uh, respond directly to the area of focus of interest, that's in your question. So sometimes, a person asks a question, then I answer it, and it's like uh, two ships passing in the night. <laughs> <laughs> so, please, in making um, allowances for for all of that in the, the world of communication, um, nevertheless, do please feel free to ask, and in any area or, or field which one feels maybe of uh, interest. Anybody? Yes. Uh, earlier on this week you made a comment about um, May if one... Th- sorry to interrupt you. So that the others who are at the rear of the hall can hear. please.
1: Earlier this week I, I think you made a comment that if we understood the religion we were born into... Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. would stay with it or we would yes. mm-hmm. hoping you could elaborate on that. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, uh, two or three days ago, I quoted uh, Anjan Buddhadasa, who is one of my two uh, teachers from Thailand, and he had made a comment some years ago directly to myself when I had expressed interest and to become uh, a monk in the Theravada tradition, a Buddhist monk. And his immediate comment at that time was, anybody who changes their religion does so because they haven't understood their own. And in the course of the meeting with him two or three years ago, I asked him um, about that. And his uh, response, when I was reading from the quotation in the book there, was one which said, true religion is to be united to the supreme thing. This is true religion. And then he quoted again from the first page of the the Bible, in which which it is said, Thou shalt not partake of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil not biting, not holding on to the knowledge of good and evil. And this he perceives to be the true religion of Christianity. And, or, as Jesus has made the uh, com- comment, be ever watchful, the kingdom of God is at hand. So, I think what Buddha Dasa is referring to since I uh, spent time with him in the forest and know his teachings reasonably well, is that if we probe deep into our into re- religion, one will find amidst all the words and all the ceremonies and the rituals and the rites and all the, the unsatisfactoriness within religion, any religion, one can find these jewels which are, as it were, point us to a discovery in which we, as he would say, realise the supreme thing. And unfortunately, religion of course, has, I think, quite often been so addicted to, as it were, protecting the pod, preserving the religion, preserving the forms, keeping the tradition, keeping it going, so obsessed with the pod, it's completely forgotten that there are peas And I say basically to hell with the pod Let's get to the jewel, let's get to the peas Please, anyone? Yes A question about violence Violence, yes It um, serves a purpose of some sort, I assume, for those who are violent, that within the stream and the extraordinary explosive power of violence, that it serves some kind of purpose. And usually, as it were, that purpose is to harm or destroy that which it can't, work with in any other way. Understand? So, there's violence there. Whether, I think one has to reserve a little bit of, uh, I I reserve for myself anyway, a little bit of um, judgment with regard to animal kingdom as such, with regard to violence. In so far as the uh, animal world, as you point out, life lives on life, and we see this necessity for this occurring in the animal world. Whether it's always appropriate to put violence as the interpretation in the animal world, I'm not quite sure. And I think the danger is in doing that, is that we tend to say, well, it's so common through all the species, therefore it's um, somehow we are violent creatures as well, and tends to give support, as it were, to some credence or belief about ourselves that, that there is violence in human beings, in human nature, as a fact of human nature. We, and we hear this uh, expressed again and again. So, teachings such uh, as, as this say, let's really question this whole belief system we have about ourselves, about violence, and therefore we have the capacity to transcend our violence. I think that willingness to explore the capacity to transcend violence, to stop living violently, is the mark of a human being. That is That distinguishes the human being. And that then for me that once that awareness comes in of the capacity and the interest and the commitment to explore that, then I think our humanness is beginning to show. And I don't know whether a human being that person may be acting in this world but has come to humanity yet if they're living violently. And the violence also has, I think, has to be understood here, very, which I think is very, very important there is the violence which is generated through the expression of emotion. And the countless forms of that and all that ensues in its wake for the one who is violent and the one who is subjected to it. But there is obviously and equally a violence which occurs through the legitimization of action. So sometimes... There are people in this world who communicate out- outwardly and maybe even in- inwardly a very calm demeanour and appear very uh, detached and uh, stable and yet can give uh, legitimization to violence and feel that it is a justified event in certain circumstances. I regard that as much a statement of violence as the violence, which is comes through emotional reaction, both are forms of violence. One can be through the signature, one can be or through the verbal support for violence, and another can be through uh, the pressure of uh, conditioning and emotion demand. In a situation like here as you point out, and others, ex- others' experience, and I frequently say this other experience, others' experience, similar, is very, very important because extra pressure comes when we think it's just me, that, and the ego identifies with that. So, when we are in situations like this, in the quietness of things, as you point out there, images, and violent images, in dreams, in fantasy, in um, uh, the productions of our mental life can occur. That violence which occurs tends to stand out more easily in the silence. Silence and stillness is intended to make things stand out. So one aspect of it, as you pointed out, is that can stand out. That standing out means that it, it it's much more clear in one's awareness. That's the beginning of change with regard to the awareness. That sometimes in retreat situations, both in dreams at night and in the day, gets exaggerated into a form of violence, of harm, killing, uh, others, situations and so forth. That in a way I think is an exaggeration that there is some latent Negativity inside, towards oneself, towards others, towards circumstance, past, present or future. And the imagery make, is the way, mind's way of saying this needs to be addressed. This needs to be looked at there. So the exaggerated form is a, may not be in real terms, it's more a subtle expression. The, this expression of it, right? means that it's an an endorsement, I think, for us to be really aware of ways that we are negative. Generating the negative. Generating uh, a tone of uh, mind, of feeling and content against others or oneself or life, whatever it is. And therefore, I think it's a statement to be vigilant, in a way. A statement for, for... for vigilance. There. And of course there are ways and means through just relating, treating others as one wishes to be treated, making those kind of themes, the loving-kindness meditations and this evening uh, Henrietta will give a loving-kindness meditation in the last period of the, uh, the sitting, uh, next sitting this evening. Being in the contact of human beings who do genuinely express a lot of kindness, who have no wish at all to endorse or express or be violent, all of that has a very potent and healing and beneficial effect on consciousness. When we can begin to sense and really see we can live without violence. We don't have to live in a violent way and we don't have to live to endorse it. And even if the whole world felt that violence in, was justifiable in some global circumstance or whatever, whatever, one's heart has touched and comprehended the transcendence of violence. Once it's comprehended and touched that transcendence of violence, if it was one's last breath, one will not give license to it for any reason. We must find, as a species and as uh, individual, uh, alternatives to violence. <coughs> it simply hasn't worked, it doesn't work, and the testimony of this century is a proof of it. We only have to look within our own borders of our own country, to see the violence is, that is on the streets and in the homes and in circumstances, and we have to only have to look internationally. And in the third verse of the Dhammapada, the Buddha has said, Hatred does not cease with hatred. Hatred ceases with non-hatred. Hatred does not cease through hatred. Hatred, or violence, ceases through non-violence and this we have to discover and find dramatically different ways for conflict resolution. As many people in a variety of fields, as we heard this afternoon, are actively um, engaged in non-violent work. Actively engaged in the ending of violence in this world through their work. They're non-violent activists. Yes, please. Thank you.
1: Christopher, I'm intrigued with with your response and the story of the monk. um, Today, yes. And, um, um, however, I can think of one situation um, in particular that comes to mind. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she feels that some right. form of self defense, sure. would that be considered violence? Is that
0: the um condoned? Um as as we know, both um in streets and um in the home and in countless numbers of situations for women and of course as the statistics show, women often very much can be very much threatened uh, sexually by and violated by somebody who they considered a friend, let alone a stranger on the street. And we see the ongoing long-term harm and destruct- destructiveness that takes place. When a person, when a, a woman is uh, threatened in this way, and if I may say, I have had um, many... Uh, must be hundreds I would think, of conversations um, particularly in retreats and outside of uh, women who have been violated, who have been uh, raped, and listened uh, to the account of the circumstances and the events. Firstly, one of the things which has been indicated to me uh, considerably is that actually at the time one doesn't have a great deal of choice you understand what I mean? It's, 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 it's such that when there is tremendous pressure, as it were, how we are is how we are at that time. And therefore, the choice of fighting back, or fleeing, or uh, reasoning, or whatever the mode that might be, um, unless there is a considerable degree of... Uh, uh, clarity at that time, in face of such terrifying circumstances i I think the element of choice is very small that that 's been talking, therefore, one is really resting on the immediacy of responses there i don 't want to the important thing in the talking just then i don 't want to judge fighting back as something which is one shouldn't do, as something which is bad in the circumstances. That's not what I'm saying. But uh, nor do I want to in any way imply a state of being passivity in the face of violence. That is also, I think they again are uh, uh, understandable responses out of fear or out out of aggression. But in such circumstances as those, what way can one deal most effectively with that situation? And I don't, for me, I don't think there is a a, a formula, a method to deal, to deal with that situation in terms of one does this and one, and one does that. But certainly, clarity and certainly eyeball to eye, eye contact there and and using as much strength and power and authority as available to oneself, but in such circumstances as women know, no matter what, never ensures a complete protection. That is the hard faced truth of this wretched existence in those forms. No matter what, there is never that assurance. But I think if, if in in, in circumstances like that, which I think must be among the most terrifying and intense forms of uh, a pressure that any human being can face, that if one has the capacity not to be caught by the fear or by the violence or the aggression inside, both completely understandable, then I think there's a little bit more possibility of working with it in a different way. Um. And that will come out of what the circumstances show. So I say, if we can liberate ourselves from living in fear and living in aggression, then I think there's, there's more possibility of dealing effectively with the countless numbers of situations where there's pressure in our life living in fear and caught in aggression I don't think answered situations that's what I say yes please
1: uh, I w- I've uh, always uh, been baffled in my experience with uh, out of the practice trying to uh, especially when I'm not in retreat yes to do
0: Yes. mm -hmm.
1: And um, I've I've heard at different times, uh, you know, talks of uh, certain beings who actually live in flesh and blood, and that they uh, do and somehow don't create karma even Mm -hmm. in their doing. They're Mm -hmm. active, but and it somehow this has to do with there being no doer. A lot of times.
0: in a w- that's one of the P's in the body Yes, mm-hmm, meter, right. Alright, yes, mm-hmm. right. so, uh, we've spoken, and to some degree, in the evening talk last night, so there is our world that we live in. We regard ourselves as being active in the world. First of all, if we are, since we are active in the world, a, sig- a very significant psychological component is the intention. Intention matters a great deal. Intention influences action and influences result. Very, very important with intention. So the tradition, spiritual tradition, especially to the Buddhist tradition, to its tremendous credit, has said from the very beginning, let's see what the motivation is. Let's see what the intention is. Never lose sight of intention in terms of action and result. And in that uh, intention, There's the influence. With the intention, there is the intender, I is born. With the intention, when it comes to the action, then the I is born, as you just said, as the doer. And with the doer comes the result. And the result appears to come to the the doer and the intender, the same. The stream. So the stream of I runs through and that gives I, gives me, gives you... The sense of a continuity which the doer is the, the thread, the continual thread through intention, action, and result. And the teachings say, as you pointed out, it's not getting rid of the doer, not getting rid of the doer, but the, the realization that the doer is not the center of events. Understand? It's not the center. When there is the doer, I am doing this, it creates an illusion for a human being that my actions, my intentions, my actions and the results are in my hands and are the result of what I do. The result of what I do reinforces the idea of the doer. The doer who succeeds or the doer who fails that reinforces a notion of doer. But if there is the realization, if there is the insight, it's not in my hands. I, am, I can't say that, but I can't say it's nothing to do with me. I can't go to that extreme. So if I'm not taking up one extreme, it's, it's all in my hands, which society perpetuates this myth, capitalist society extremely. Not, if I say it's not all in my hands, but it's not all in others hands or in life's hands either then i'm not going to be so concentrated on the notion of the doer cuz i'll have uh, right in my, in the intention right in the action right in the results of the action there'll be a realization that it's not defined by me even in the participation even in intending acting and doing which is what life reveals itself as and therefore one is not a prisoner to the doer yes please anyone yes um, I about
1: new age yeah. <laughs> yes yes yes
0: <laughs> <Right>. um,
1: <laughs>
0: uh, interesting. My first um, first res- response uh, is a, li- a little bit the b- the background, because there has been uh, quite some discussion going on in Totnes, where I, I live recently. Um, I um, had mentioned some some um, day, days ago that. The the commercial television station in Britain is doing four one-hour documentaries on the state of religion in Britain today. The uh, Episcopal, the Anglican Church, has lost a million members um, in the last decade. Uh, The movement of fundamentalism, evangelism, and different house Christianity, different forms of Christianity. And one hour is being given on the alternatives to the church. The television uh, producers and researchers were very, very concerned that if they, in doing the alternatives, that they wouldn't mistakenly go and film, say, a cult, and put that on the TV as an alternative to Christianity, without realizing it, and then there would be a huge uh, uproar, because they give kind of free publicity to cult. So in the, the discussions in the in the uh, weekend television uh, studios uh, in London, they met and talked with people, and if I may if I may say, there that, that apparently, and um, I'm quite flattered by this, my name got mentioned twice because I it seems like I have a little reputation for being so anti-cult and anti-authoritarian and won't have anything to do with anything that, that whiffs, smells remotely of us and them and this uh, madness, that uh, they sent down the producer and researcher, etc, etc. So then, in, in this came up the, the very question, there's Christianity, and then they wanted to have a general label called New Age, and then fit Christopher and his friends and others, into the general new age. And this was a fast way to generate send me into old age.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> and um, the, the then, um, um, don't laugh too loudly, because um, um, I spoke about my visits to the States, they, uh, and they made one trip to California, where else? and uh, to to see what's happening there. And uh, then the the other there in um, Boston, in in the first week of May, in fact, doing filming there and to see the transatlantic influences, etc. With new age, with new age, to get to the point here, with new age and new age thinking, I think in part it was born in the 70s to try to form something different from conventional, what happened, I fear, what happened with that, is that it, new age thinking, began to express and still expresses, a real diversity of different activities. So, to its credit, it took um, uh, encouragement from um, Eastern philosophies for sure, uh, Indian uh, teachings. Uh, it took care with regard to diet and organic food. It took interest too in other things, such as palmistry, um, astrology, um, some of the therapies, different forms of spirituality, and a language, as understandable, like anywhere, a language has begun to evolve out of that, with uh, a few key concepts and themes which run in it. Sometimes it might be acceptance, there's a lot of talk of uh, energy, this is the favorite um, new age concept, energy, whatever it is, I've no idea but they and there. And, and, I, and I generally, people I know who are actively involved in new age thinking, there is generally a positive view, future view that goes with it. That, that things are getting better and we have to kind of keep connecting with the new age, And it it has that kind of popular, positive thinking in the course of time, and therefore, is generally a strong, gives a strong endorsement to the kind of um, evolutionary model of things. And I I feel with with, uh, all of that, that there is much which is genuinely of immense value going on in the New Age movement, and uh, tremendous projects. That which are taking place a lot of genuinely creative imagination is being used uh, in it and it's also drawing on some of the ancient spirituality and places like Findhorn of course are a tremendous magnet of new age thinking uh, Glastonbury with a long spiritual history t- to it is there and Totnes in the, the, me- the way the media addresses us in the last decade is called the new age capital of written, and uh, this we again, at least I say about that, the better for the moment, but all, it's part of something, it appears part of something alternative, but unfortunately the sloganizing new age is going to wear out, especially if one uses a word like new inside of it. So I say yes, let's give support and let's, see, and let's use the resources that are in the movement, widespread movement. However, for me, I feel let's not be identified with anything anywhere. Not New Age, not Buddhism, not tradition, not anything. Not, any, not anything anywhere. With the freedom to, to criticize, the freedom to give support and express appreciation, but no, not tied to anything anywhere. And that is the. Uh, the uh, heart of the teaching
1: here. Please, um, I hope you can help me uh, understand maybe even think through some of my um, um, undeveloped thoughts on this subject. I don't think I've ever come to a retreat when I haven't heard you say something, and you should just been passing, about how uh, the United States doesn't have a national health program and how atrocious that is. Yes. And I have, um, I've, all, I've been in the, the medical or health field, my whole adult life. Yes. And I have not really thought much about health insurance or mm. national health plan until lately, when uh, I've had a lot of pressure put on me by my future husband, mm-hmm. in health insurance, and and it's it's really gotten me to thinking, as well as in my state of a um, push by acupuncturists to have. Uh, legislation to force insurance coverage of active country services and that's not um, uh, a viable point at right now so that's that's passed but it's it's, so all this is coming up and i'm thinking about it and what i've come up with is that i'm not sure that um either national or otherwise health insurance coverage is is um is really workable when you get right down to it Mm -hmm. and you come from england so you can probably fill me in on this but, um, what I get in my practice is I get people who come to me and they say, well, how much do you cost? And I say, well, I cost this much. You know, I mean, my service is this much. Um, and they go, well, you know, okay. Mm. Or they say, well, that's too expensive for me. And I say, fine. Well, let's talk about that. What can you afford? Mm. You know, can you trade something? Yes. Um, or maybe we can simply defer payments until you do have a Mm. Or whatever. There's there's a lot of workability within mm. that. But when I get someone who has uh, insurance, they say, you know, are you covered by insurance? And sometimes my services are and sometimes they're not. And if they're not, I say I have to say no, I'm not covered by insurance and they go, Well then I'm not I'm gonna take your service. And I say, So <coughs> so um, you're gonna take something that doesn't work as well, maybe not at all, and because the insurance pays for that. So that's one aspect, and then another aspect, because I think even in England Mm. national health insurance doesn't cover acupuncture. It can. It can? Mm. Okay. Um, And then there's another thing where when someone is paying out of their pocket or in trade or Mm. in whatever way, there's a genuine relationship between your money (laughs) and where it's going, Mm. And what you're getting for your for your services, so that person tends to hold the practitioner accountable for the for the skill, or for the yeah. results. Yeah. And and I see that just completely missing in, in instances where a third party is paying for the service. You know, yeah. if it's not working, they simply you know keep going because it's free anyway. Or are there some other non-satisfactory resolution of what's happening, other mm. than mm. a real
0: confrontation, and a change in the end? Okay. So those are my thoughts. Right. Um, I, you're you're, you're quite, quite right. I uh, um, express quite, quite regularly, because of the number of workers in the health field that come on retreats, my uh, um, concern about the lack of uh, a socialist um, health system, as is conceived of in most of, of Europe, particularly Northern Europe, the most advanced is certainly um, Scandinavian countries, and to quite a considerable degree, despite government efforts, um, in Britain as well. Um, I, my, my view and, and uh, belief is that um, it is a human right in any society and particularly in a wealth-creating society to have access to any form of medicine at any time without ever having to think about money with regard to it. I don't think health can ever be measured through money. I think it is a disgraceful system in, in the United States where people tell me they are afraid to go to the doctor, they're afraid of the cost of um, an operation or, or or surgery, or whatever, and that that fear and anxiety actually inhibits becoming well. That, I think, is absolutely unacceptable and intolerable. And I don't think there's any justification to use money for health. And I think a system like we have in Britain, when I, I was away for 10 years, I was back 3 or 4 years, I was earning peanuts. I mean, just the, the dharna, and just living on very, very little dharna, didn't pay any taxes, didn't have my name registered anywhere. I wasn't paying any national insurance stamps, which at the moment is about £20 a month I pay for my health, whatever. But for three or four years, I didn't have anything. didn't have any money or whatever. And I could just walk into to my doctor's surgery. And so incidentally, could any foreigner in the country walk in and get all the treatment to the most necessary uh, uh, expensive surgery and there wouldn't be a penny to pay from start through to finish. And that was available to everybody who was in Britain. And tragically, this monstrous conservative government has stopped people from overseas doing that. It has also done everything possible to try to bring about a collapse of this, that health se- secure system and introduce something as close as it can to the American American model. And I think when I read that there are more than 30 million people in this country who are unable to pay health insurance, therefore they're living in fear every time they get sick, I think think it is a disgrace. And my view on the matter is that health is a human right and therefore I say millions of people in this country are being deprived of a human right. Please anyone? Yes, please. Mm.
1: Is one's karma determined by one's intention? And if so, if one examines one's intention Mm. in a particular circumstance and the result is negative, will that person suffer the consequences of that action Mm -hmm. regardless of his or her intention? In other words, if the intention was pure,
0: Very important point. But in uh, using the word karma, it's in the Sanskrit, K-A-R-M-A. In the Pali, k a w m a, And uh, incidentally, there's a small diversion from moment. Um, the word karma has crept fungus-like into the New Age thinking.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the person, and one will hear, oh, it's his karma, it's her karma. Have no idea what they're talking about. In, just inherited some gossip out of India. And in fact, what they're referring to, when generally speaking, if, any, if there's any accuracy, re- re- referring to the results of karma, not to karma, but the results of karma. And there's one, ladies have to be distinguished. But as you point out very accurately, the Buddha has said, has asked, What is karma? And the Buddha said, Cetana is the karma, the intention. What is the intention? And the two primary forms of intention. Intention, which he says is wholesome intention, right? And the intention which is unwholesome. Mm-hmm. So, when we're, we're looking at the movement of karma, we're, we're, we're interested in the wholesome and the unwholesome intention there. Which, in which there is a dependency. And in that dependency with karma, as a karma means the intention at, with the dependency is tied to karma vipaka, the result of the karma, like you were asking. Right? So, let's, let's give um, um, a, 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 an example of, of what I mean. Um, there was a, a doctor... In, uh, uh, in India, and he lived in Madras, and he was a heart specialist. His wife had heart disease. Normally, certainly in the West, I don't think it would even be allowed. Normally, uh, a surgeon would not perform an operation on a relative. He was the only person who could do this operation, and yet he was incredibly nervous about it, as you can imagine. And therefore, there was the intention to save his life, his wife's life. There's the action and something very wholesome in, in that. And tragically, tragically, his wife died on the operating table. And he was just devastated by the result of his wholesome action there. And he blamed himself. He said, I should have uh, instructed my assistant to perform the operation and while I gave the instructions I shouldn't have done it myself, I was too nervous and, then, and terrible blame, terrible sense of guilt and failure and quite devastated by all of this it's an extreme example but it's an, it's an example where the intention and the action is there but with it, in human terms of course the result is not as would one would wish for so the teachings I've always said, again and again, wisdom matters. Wisdom in the beginning, wisdom in the middle, and wisdom in in the end. And thus, it's another situation where intention, action, and result, when the I is taking too much credit for itself, too much belief in itself, in its own power, its own ability to control, then this terrible pain can arise. So, the, so. the the Buddha was asked, is it possible, is it only the wicked, the evil, the unwholesome intentions, the unwholesome actions which lead to hell? And the Buddha said, don't say that, Ananda. Even those with pure intention, like the example that I gave, in the pure action, can also end up in hell. Hell, in this case, means utter hellishness of mind and body. So, therefore, we are not in the way of cultivating wholesomeness. We're saying, wisdom. And out of wisdom comes an action which is not of intention, action and result in the conventional way. What Buddha Dasa referred to as duty. And it's not tied. Two, the ego, the self is not tied to the process. Yet yet one is talking. I am sitting here, I am talking to you, you are talking to me, all, all conventional, but the order of things the dimension is different. This is the teachings of liberation. Please, anyone? Oh, sorry, yes, whoever. Yes, I heard Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes. 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 Mm. and um, it, it's
1: clear that uh, Yes. Right.
0: right. Right. The um, again, with all the all the questions, always, of course, important. It's uh, how, myself or Christopher's responds uh, to these. And I, not and never would be any authority on Dharma, but nor is anybody else. Uh, and. Um, Oh, yes, um, okay, the question was asked with re- relationship of feelings to mind, feelings to, to thoughts and the movement of feelings, repression and expression, generally speaking. And I said to, remind, to remember that I am just a, uh, uh, a voice who is uh, speaking, that I um, would never ever claim for myself that I am an authority uh, on the Dharma, but I would also have to say, neither is anybody else either. And in that with feelings and thoughts, in a way, thought makes a separation already. The thinking makes a separation, feelings here, you know, here that don't lower down, thoughts up there, or whatever. And the thought makes convenient distinctions there. I think one has to tread very, very carefully with words like repression, or suppression. I, I don't like to use, the, I never use those concepts, extremely rarely, and, and other words like unconscious. Um, I feel it adds yet another division to our way of uh, relating, and I think my concern is that if we speak of something unconscious, or repressed, or suppressed, or whatever, um, what happens for us easily is it generates an, an, an image in the idea of something which is there which I can't get at. And that requires a belief. It requires a belief there is something there which I can't get at. And therefore I have to do something to get that which is down there up and out. And I feel uncomfortable uh, with that, because I think it creates that idea, easily creates an idea that there can be a deep pit of things down there which are waiting to come up to find expression. This is, language is used quite frequently but it's a language, it's a metaphor, it's a way of describing. Where, and I doubt whether that there's any inherent truth in, in that. So I much prefer, in, the, as, uh, in the communication of uh, teachings of the world, of mental life, feeling, emotional life, to say, let's be with what's happening. Let's not have any conjecture at all about something other than and speculate that there is really something other than down in there. And I, and I think that if we view that way as a, and take it as a rigid view of the way things are, What it means is, if we, in terms of unconscious or suppressed, if we conclude that is the truth, then it's inexhaustible. It's an inexhaustible way of living. Because one can go on years and years and say, there's even more to come up, there's even more to come out, even more to exhaust. And if one just opens the door, the peephole of the door to past lives, oh my God! (laughs) Another New Age issue as well, past <laughs> lives. And, uh, and so I just feel to be very, very cautious and careful about reinforcing the language of unconscious and conscious. I am not sure whether there's any uh, inherent truth. It's just a way of describing life. Yes, please, John. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, I have, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you again about your idea which you demonstrated once earlier in the week, of sort of the the instant undoing of old patterns. Mm-hmm. I mentioned this last night Yes. yet to mm. talk about it. And uh, you said
0: you you found it works, Do you believe in it. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, all right. So, I uh, have referred referred to uh, over the days a uh, what shall we say, the way of liberation, the way of uh, emptiness, realization, enlightenment, whatever the language, and uh, emphasized uh, again and again immediacy, immediacy. So, uh, for example, in a small way, as one person um, um, uh, said, said to me um, two or three days ago that uh, sometimes a thought has arisen that to really uh, progress and develop anywhere in, this, uh, in the practice, one has to practice a great deal that, and the thought has arisen uh, for him that it will perhaps he needs to practice and really develop his concentration for the next 20 years, and in after, perhaps in 20 years time where really come some real insights and understanding and freedom in that way. And then, as a result of some uh, inquiry, that the person said, realize, actually I don't. Then will have to think in those terms, and that though I may not see uh, what liberation is, the, the, the ending of being stuck, though I may not see what that is, at least I know it's available here and now. At least I know. At least I know that. I think that is a very significant uh, insight in itself. In a way, it, it it takes out a lot of the idea of practice, practice, practice in the course of time and perhaps somewhere in the future. So there's a the sense of, as it were, an availability of something which has no, no measure, which is accessible, right now. With who's had a pain with
1: to a yeah, mm-hmm, yes. Something like that, mm. similar
0: to Right, so, a, again, uh, generally, as a general view, both in uh, terms of spiritual practice or emotional difficult, difficulties, The general view, and it's very understandable and I think one which must be very, very much respected and acknowledged is, as one of the psychotherapists pointed out to me here, sometimes the intention for the person is really to really work on their issue or issues, really work through the process and in fact the intention is really to do that. Therefore, one is thinking in time of a gradual exhaustion of the suffering influence of a pattern. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, must be very, very much acknowledged and respected since the person's intention is thinking long-term. And it can be quite unimaginable and beyond comprehension that it doesn't have to be like that. And to try to persuade somebody that it can, of immediacy, when the, every, all the momentum is th- in time, is really um, to put pressure on the person and uh, uh, try to persuade someone in a kind of ideological sense, and that's quite unsatisfactory. So that I do feel there must be acknowledgement for the processes of time, <laughs> however there is the capacity and spirituality and religion to, of course, as one form of it has said, again and again, of something which is immediate, that we can be, as it were, in another language, utterly uh, born again, in which all the old finishes. And it partakes of the mystery of life and the evidence of life, so that even in situations where a person... And and, and the mystery can be in more than one way. This is a wonderful thing. Our thoughts are uh, mischievous in thinking that we can know. What I I mean by that, sometimes the simple statement in a kind of odd way, a, a kind of authority which come, this is whatever it is, this is unsatisfactory, this cannot continue living in this way with the suffering or whatever and it's a simple statement that comes out of a human being and it stops. It stops. One is no longer going to be living in self-pity or self-disappointment or holding up and stuck in self and there's a clear recognition, seeing and statement enough is enough, no more and it's finished and that capacity is capable with human beings unfortunately belief systems deny this wonderful transformative power that takes place sometimes it's not so much as a as a as a statement and that a statement which is generates the whole uh, body as a statement but one of the most potent forms and traditionally has always been said is in the actual transmission of the Dharma teachings. The great power of authority of the Dharma teachings when there's an unshakable, unflagging uh, expression of the essence of the Dharma teachings that persons and persons can, listening and in the very action of listening something is recognized in the listening, something is realized in a non-verbal way and something is inside is changed forever and one knows in one's heart of heart, in the very cells of one's body one can never go back to belief in the old. One can never fall back on the old, one knows that's stopped. And in the fastness and mystery of things, the wonderful things is transformation can take place through the nature, through the meditations, through the inquiry, through all the resources that we have here and, and uh, elsewhere, e- always available to us, in such a way, a wonderful thing uh, about this, is such a way that one hasn't realised at the time that it's happened. Had we had it? What does one do with that one? One hasn't realised at the time that something has happened which has changed one forever and ever and ever. And sometimes I receive a letter here, a phone call there, or uh, see the person another retreat, or I meet with them somewhere or other, and the person will say to me, and it happens regularly, the person will say to me, Chris, I was on that retreat, and it didn't seem like anything special was going on in that retreat, wandering mind, thoughts going, feelings coming, breath, da, da, da. And the person said, a day later, a week later, a year later, something struck. Something struck which one just didn't realise at the time. Struck in such such a way, such a revelation, that things just fell into place. And things were changed forevermore. So as I say, through the capacity of the human being, through the communications with human beings through the meditation processes through the statement through the nature and even even not knowing and one week one year 10 years later this capacity for the heart's liberation in life is uh, available to us and thus when the buddha has said in his awakening he, he saw the end of practice. He realized the end of practice. He realized the end of the Dharma, the end of the teachings, the end of meditation, all of, all of that. He meant the whole lot of it. The whole, the whole body of it, all of it finished. Nothing to do. And this is how I say, I believe, see, and realize this is the heart of the teaching. So I quite often say, we'll say that, that in fact, really, I can say I don't teach anything. I actually can say, I'm not trying to be clever with the, uh, in any way. Actually, I don't teach anything. Don't teach a standpoint or a position in any way whatsoever nor no position or whatever. Not not teach anything. All the teachings must go. All the teachings must finish. Everything Everything must go. And the wonderful mystery of it is, in a wonderful, wonderful sense. In fact, it never arose in the first place to have to go in the second place. (laughs) May all beings live in peace. (laughs) May all beings live in harmony. May all beings live in peace and harmony. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes, shall we please?